Would you open your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 6? Uh, Galatians, we're going we're gonna to finish this, the journey of Galatians this morning. I think this is week 14 or 15 in this study. And we're going to finish uh, the, the verses today will be verses, uh, I think it's 6 to 18, I believe. But before we get there in that passage, let me engage you a little bit. Uh, and get you thinking about where we're headed this morning. So I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think for a moment about uh, a coach, a mentor, a teacher in your life that had a real, tangible, significant impact in your life. Like they actually made a difference in your life. So I want you to pull that person to your mind's eye. Uh, when I when I think about this question, three people come to my mind and heart uh, immediately. My middle school basketball coach, Coach Bell, made a huge impact uh, in my life. Uh, when I graduated from college, uh, I went on staff with a ministry called Young Life. And my Young Life boss uh, became a spiritual mentor uh, in my life. His name is John Vickery. When Lindsay and I got married, uh, the church that we were a part of was a new church plant in our community. And the church planter, the pastor, his name is Jeff Schulte. And those three men come to my mind immediately when I think about teacher, mentor, coach that has made an impact in my life. Now, here's the question. As you think about that person, how did they make an impact in your life? Like, what was their approach? How did they actually make such an impact in your life. I'm going to guess that it was something like this, that they uh, believed something about you. They believed in you, perhaps even when you didn't believe that about yourself. They saw something in you. They believed something about you that perhaps you didn't even know that about yourself or you didn't believe that about yourself, but you had someone that you looked up to believing in you in a, in a tangible, real way. But I think it goes further than just believing in you. I think it also probably has to do with this. By teaching you and encouraging you and exhorting you and correcting you so that you could grow and develop to be who you are, right? There's a believing in you, but there's also a training and teaching uh, in that. When um, my son Jackson is a senior at Grand Canyon University. And so we just dropped him off. Lindsay just dropped him off about a week ago. And uh, he's studying theater and digital film. And uh, one, I, I think, I didn't even text him about this, but I think one of the people that he would have said was his middle school choir teacher. He would answer that she made a huge impact in his life. Um, she believed in him to audition for a theater production in the seventh grade. And he came to home one day and he told Lindsay and I that he was in a, a theater production at school. And Lindsay and I were like, you're in a what? You're, you're going to do what? Because theater is not something that she and I had ever been connected with. And I'm like, how did this even happen? He's like, well, Miss Salverud, she encouraged me to do this. And I did it and I tried out and I made it. She believed in him and she saw something in Jackson and she called it out of him. And then she taught him and she coached him and she corrected him and she exhorted him in this path in his life. Uh, she said what was true to him. I believe you'd be very good at this. And then she gave him the coaching, which includes, here's the point I'm trying to make, which includes exhortation and correcting. And now he is 
studying theater and digital film. It is his primary passion and it's his dreams for his future because a seventh grade choir teacher called that out of my son. She did, Jackson's middle school choir teacher did what I would say the person that you're thinking of in your life did. And she did what Paul does in all of his letters. We talked about this last week. She gave to Jackson an indicative truth statement. I believe in you. I believe you'd be very good at this. And then she gave him um, imperative instruction along the journey in his career. This is what Paul does in all of his letters. He states in grammar what's known as the indicative mood of grammar, a statement about what is true. Here is what is True, I'm giving you what is true. And then after the indicative statement, he gives the imperative, the the exhortation, the correction about life and journey and development and growth, which includes correction. All of Paul's letters follow this way. In Galatians, the first four chapters are all indicative. And then chapters five and six has been a bit of a rapid fire of imperatives, instruction, correction, so that the churches in Galatia would learn and grow and develop in their journey as Christ followers. Here's what we talked about last week that I want to make sure that I'm reminding you of as we wrap up the series today. The imperatives that we read today, that we've been reading in chapters 5 and 6, the imperatives that we read today, it is not law. It is not going back to old covenant law. For four chapters, Paul gives every reason in his theology about the sufficiency of the grace of Christ, that we are not under the law of Moses anymore. We are under the grace of Jesus, and we are following Jesus. So when we read these imperatives, don't swing it back to law. Here's what these imperatives do for us. They grow us up. They transform us. They show us the way of Jesus. And they are evidences of a life changed by the gospel of grace. That's how I want to invite you to see these exhortations today. Evidences of growth and development in our own life. Because God cares for us. Grace meets us right where we are. Right where we are. And grace loves us so much that it will not leave us there. It will grow us up into Christ's likeness. So again, uh, five and six, rapid fire of exhortations. It's what scholars call practical theology. This is where the rubber meets the road in our actual real lives of a theology of grace in terms of our practical lives. And then in week uh, two uh, of this passage, um, we're gonna just call this grace walks, practical theology. This is how grace walks itself out into our lives. And we'll finish We'll finish up. So I'm going to start with just reading verses uh, 6 through, I think, 10. Let's read 6 through 10, and then we'll finish the rest of the chapter in a minute. So again, uh, Galatians 6, starting in verse 6. This is the word of God for us this morning. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Hey. Okay. All right, talk about that in a second. That's a little awkward for me to stand up here and say. In other words, like, you should share all good things with me, guys. We're going to talk about that. Um, Verse 7, there's there's no transition. It's just another imperative. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one 
who sows to please his own flesh, from that flesh will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. Let us do good to all people, but especially to this people, especially to the family of uh, believers. So yeah, so verse six, uh, a little challenging for me to teach you here that Paul is instructing the churches to be generous with their teachers, instructors, pastors, leaders. I was thinking I would just kind of just skip over this verse. I hope you didn't notice, but that would be me not willing to teach you the whole counsel of the word of God. Here's what I see Paul saying here. Simply this, be generous with people who have been generous with you. We think about generosity, time, talent, treasure. Be generous with people who have been generous with you. Be thankful, be humble, and use what you have received to be a conduit of generosity to other uh, people. Authentic, I believe, authentic generosity of time, talent, treasure um, really comes from a heart of gratitude. It is a response. It is a response of gratitude. When I think about um, cheerful giving, right? Uh, Paul talks about this in his first letter to Corinthians, or maybe it's the second, um, that we don't give out of compulsion, but out of cheerfulness, out of gratitude, out of joy. And I would say it this way, uh, don't give because you, you, you're trying to get something. This isn't about earning. This isn't about following rules and requirements. We don't give to get, and you don't have to give. You don't have to give. I would say it this way in generosity. We get to give, and we get to taste the beauty of a generous life. Amen? And so, uh, that's what I see that verse saying to us this morning. And then we get to seven and eight and it's just a whole nother exhortation. And he goes on to state the truth that life, like nat- the, the way life works, our lives and the natural reality of our lives, life holds the scales in a, in a balance. And so there's a common sense reality to this phrase. We reap what we so you've heard that before, right? There's, the, there's a common sense reality. If we accept life on life's terms, we reap in our lives what we sow in our lives. In this broken natural world on this side of heaven, uh, our decisions, the reality of this life, our decisions carry consequences. Would you guys agree with that? Like the choices that I make every day carries carries a consequence to this is what I see Paul helping us to understand here Um, if you ignore gravity in your life you're going to break your bones you reap what you sow if you don't learn to save money when the rainy day comes in your life you're not going to have a rainy day fund to use to help on those rainy days it's just our decisions carry real consequences in our lives. 
And while it is wonderfully, beautifully, majestically true that in the gospel of grace, in a, in a relationship with God through Jesus, the security of salvation, the security of eternal life in Christ, the security that we have been totally forgiven and set free by Jesus in the cross of Calvary. Believers are fully and completely forgiven at the same time. There are real consequences to choices we make in our lives. So if a man sins against his body, sooner or later, sooner or later, he will pay in ruined health, even though he is fully forgiven, right? If a man sins against loved ones or for anyone for that matter, sooner or later, hearts are going to be broken, even though he is fully forgiven. This is the gospel, But the reality of life that we're living with each other is we reap what we sow. Now, here's the connection I want to help you make in this passage. In the natural, we, whatever we sow, we also will reap. It's why Paul says here in Galatians 6, sowing to the flesh. He's been talking about, be careful that you don't indulge the flesh. Like we're free, he said this in chapter five, we're free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And then later in chapter six, he says what the, the heart of the, whole, the Holy Spirit and walking by the Spirit is that we are learning to, to crucify the desires of our sinful flesh. Like that is the way that Paul is leading as a mentor, pastor, teacher, coach. So sowing to the flesh will reap the flesh, but in the supernatural, in the supernatural, whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now here's, here's the teaching moment. Here's the connection I want you to make with this famous phrase that so many people know, you reap what you sow. And in the natural, I would say, yes, that is absolutely true. We reap what we sow, but I want you to lean in and I want you to grab hold of this this morning. In the natural, we reap what we sow. But in the spiritual, in the supernatural, followers of Jesus reap what Jesus sowed for us. And I, in my notes, because I I felt like this was the main point of the morning, I I have this written down. Come on now, this is good news. (laughs) We reap what Jesus sowed for us. Hallelujah and amen. And that brings us to a place of rest and hope that can only be received and experienced as we received what Jesus has sowed for us. The verse that we come to uh, a decent amount here at our church is we want to cultivate an environment of freedom in the grace of Jesus. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1, 19, and 19 to 20, in Christ... It is always yes. We reap what Jesus sowed. In Christ Jesus, it is always yes. For all of the promises of God find their yes in him. And that is why it is through Jesus that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Here's what sowing to the spirit means. Sowing to the spirit simply means resting in the truths of the extravagant grace of God that he has given us. Sowing to the spirit is believing rightly what Jesus has done for us 
and that we have been adopted into the family of God and the anointing on your life is that you are a favored son, you are a favored daughter and that we together have the same inheritance, the same eternal inheritance that Jesus himself has. Believing this, receiving this, sowing to the spirit is walking by the spirit and crucifying the desires of our flesh. So here's the indicative that I am stating to you this morning. And I hope you never forget this, truly. Here's the indicative true statement. We reap what Jesus has sowed for us. And here's the imperative from verse nine. So let us not grow weary in doing good. Because it is true that we reap what Jesus has sowed in the spiritual and the supernatural, let us be empowered by the truth and let us never grow weary of doing good in the time that God has given us here. Amen? And he says this promise, because in due season, in due season, we will reap. Do not give up doing good. Why? Because in due season, you will reap the good that you have done in the name of Jesus, because we reap what Jesus has sowed. So then church, because it is true, let us do good. It's not, it's not, this isn't like this legalistic law. It's not, I'm I'm not, I don't feel like I'm in this place. Like "You, you guys need to do better, do better, do good. That's, that's not the message. It's like, We don't have to give, but we get to give. Let us be generous people receiving all that Jesus has sowed for us. Let us walk in the way of Jesus who has empowered us. Let us do good in the time we have. And there are so, there are so many opportunities, aren't there? We literally just have to open our eyes. When we think about let us not grow weary in doing good, there are so many opportunities to do good in our families, in our friendships, in our neighborhood, in our cities. Like, let us open our eyes and see the needs and go meet the needs that we have in our community. Um, we do a, um, a, a thing here. It's a, it's a mission opportunity for us. We call it Scattered. Uh, over the last year, we've been doing that once a month. We're moving that to once Every fifth quarter, or every fifth Sunday, excuse me, there's not five quarters, there's four quarters. Um, but the next one of these scatter events is going to be on October the 31st. Uh, we're going to continue to meet every Sunday in August as we're continuing to build momentum as school starts back and all the students are, are coming back. And so our next one is October 31st. And it's this, if you're not familiar with it, instead of gathering here in This space as a community, we want to scatter all over the community of Fort Collins to do what? To do good, to do good works in the name of Christ. And so our hope as a staff is that we are mobilizing our church family to get out in our community to serve and bless and care well for people. Um, We're partnered with a ministry in town called Serve 6-8. And they uh, are a wonderful organization that helps a lot of churches uh, in this community uh, see needs and meet needs. And so we're in partnership with them, not just because we're, we're supporting them financially, but because we are putting people on the ground in projects that they have. And so if you're not familiar with Serve 6-8, serve 6 org, there's always opportunities 
uh, to do good and partnering with Serve 6-8. We are partnered with a um, global uh, ministry based out of Nashville. A friend of mine leads it. It's called Conduit Mission. And uh, we, we use that mission as a conduit of our own generosity to help. I mean, they are, they are sending teams. I mean, uh, Conduit Mission is getting people ready and resources ready today to get to Haiti this week to help with the devastation that happened yesterday in Haiti. And if you don't know this, every, every um, offering that comes to our church, 10% of that offering goes into a benevolence fund. And in that fund, we use that fund to partner with ministries, not just Serve 6-8, not just Conduit Mission, but lots of ministries in our community to help them. And it's money that we use to bless people within our church family when they have financial need, that we have resources that we can help. Uh, And so we want to not grow weary in doing good. Uh, Jesus said this to his disciples, the greatest, the greatest are the humble servants. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And the most spirit-filled people that I know are the humble servants. And so I pray that a spirit of the way of Jesus would, would inspire us this morning to see needs, meet needs, and to serve and give in the name of Christ. Um, Galatians 6.10, let me pull this up for you again. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong in the family of believers. There's a call of Galatians 6 that we would serve love and care well, that we would serve love and care big for people, people, but especially, Paul says, to the people that belong to the household of faith. So let's do that. Let's do that together, not because we are checking legalistic boxes, but because we want to because we're moved to, because we get to do this, we get to live this way. Um, That's when we know, I believe, that's when you will know when you are living in more of the freedom of the gospel of Jesus as you follow Jesus, when it moves from I have to, to I get to. When, when that switch happens in your mind about doing good to people and serving and loving and caring, and it doesn't feel like a, 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 a duty or an obligation, it just feels like this is the way and I'm, I'm moved to do this, I'm telling you, you are tasting more grace. And the phrase is, we get to do this in the time that we have. God has restored us in Jesus, he has redeemed us, and he has empowered us now to join him in his Work And I would say that is living in the freedom of the gospel. And that is how grace walks itself out in our lives in more practical ways. Let's read this next passage in Galatians 6. I'm so sad we're coming to the end of Galatians. I've loved this series with you. So Paul says in verse 11, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Anybody ever... um, text something in all caps, right? Be careful with that, by the way, right? Verse 12, those who want to make a good impression outwardly, the Judaizers, those who are coming up into the churches in Galatia, telling them that they got to do all these things to be saved, which Paul calls a false gospel in chapter one, those who want to make a good impression outwardly, are trying to compel you to be circumcised. Think Old Covenant Mosaic Law. Compel you to add to the work of Jesus. 
It's Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. That's the message of the Judaizers. The whole first four chapters of Galatians, Paul is speaking against that theology and he calls it a false gospel. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Not even those who are preaching this circumcision message, they don't obey the law. They don't obey all of the 613 laws. No one can do that. Yet they want you to be circumcised So that they may boast about your flesh. Look what we did. We went up to Galatia and look what we did. Look at those people, right? It's a a way of boasting outwardly. Verse 14. May I never, this is Paul. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul's basically saying, The world has nothing for me. I'm crucified to the world and the world to me. And if I'm boasting, I'm only boasting in the cross of Jesus. By the way, Galatians 6.14, that's a a good verse to memorize. That's a really good one to memorize. Verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Whether you do it or you don't do it, it's not about checking boxes. It's not about rules. It's about the grace of Jesus. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. I'll stop there for a second. Outwardly, outwardly, Paul is, um, or, or not outwardly, but ordinarily. So Paul would write a letter. Typically, he would have a scribe that would write, he, he would dictate the letters. And a scribe would actually write the letters. But Paul says in this letter, I'm the one writing this to you and I'm writing in large letters so that you understand how serious I am about this message and this letter. He loves this church, these churches so much. His passion for their freedom is so stirred that he writes with his own hand in the whole last Paragraph in large letters, all caps in bold to get their attention so they understand how serious he is. And then in verse 12 and 13, he gets back to the actual, he closes the book with the core reality, the core message of everything that he's been saying in the first four chapters. The false teachers, again, teaching, leading the churches in Galatia to embrace a false message. And the false message that Paul is against is this. Their false message was Jesus plus the law of Moses equals salvation. And Paul's message is Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel of grace. And they give this false message. He begins to unpack why they're giving this false message. There's three things that we see in these two verses. One reason they they give this false message to make a good showing before God by keeping all the rules. Aren't we so special? Aren't we so spiritual? Aren't we so religious? Shouldn't you elevate us in your eyes because we're so religious and we do all these things right? That's part of the false message. And Paul, however, was certain that nothing a man could do could ever earn salvation. Salvation and restoration, redemption was by faith alone and Jesus alone by grace alone. That is the message. So any, any additions to any additions, 
Any requirements to faith alone, in Jesus alone, by his grace alone, is a false message. And so once again, Paul, as he wraps the book, he points them to the all-sufficient power of Jesus, his person and his work on the cross. And he summons them to cease trying to earn salvation and trust in the all-sufficient work of Jesus. Their false message also, he says, was to avoid persecution for the cross of Christ. Um, Contextually, uh, Rome, at the time of this letter, recognized the Jewish religion and officially allowed Jews to practice it. Circumcision, the act of circumcision, contextually in this day, was a passport, hear this, to safety from being hated by the Jews and the Romans alike. And so to be circumcised was an opportunity to avoid the persecution of standing in the name of Jesus and the all-sufficient power of Jesus and the cross of Jesus in his resurrection. And they used circumcision to avoid persecution. But the call and the exhortation of Paul is this. I am calling you to stand firm in your freedom. Galatians 5.1. Stand firm in it. There, there's, a, there's a press against you. There's a persecution against you from Rome and from Judaism. And from the world against knowing Jesus, following Jesus, the all-sufficient work of Jesus. Therefore, stand firm in your freedom. And the Judaizers weren't willing to do that. But Paul, Paul is willing to do that. And he's calling the church to follow him and being willing to do that. But know this, to know Jesus, to make him known, you will be persecuted. Thirdly, the false messengers was to boast in themselves, even though it was a bit of a masquerade for them. Paul calls them out on the carpet for being hypocritical and... um, fake. He says, those who are teaching circumcision, they, they themselves, they don't even keep all of the law. They wanted glory for themselves as they, they exerted power and fear over people to do what they said to do. And it makes them puff up in ego. And Paul's having none of that legalistic slavery. And so he, he transitions to verses 14 and 15 and he lays it down with all of the intensity, I believe, of which he is capable that circumcision and uncircumcision, checking boxes does not matter. Whether you choose to be circumcised, whether you don't choose to be circumcised, it doesn't even matter. Stop focusing on what you're doing and what you're not doing. The focus isn't on what you're doing and what you're not doing. The focus is on what Jesus has done for you and given you by his grace. So raise your gaze to the person of Jesus and his work and his resurrection and take your eyes off of yourself and be free in receiving the grace of Jesus. What matters is faith in Christ. What matters is a new creation in Christ. I encourage you to memorize this. So here you go. And Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is a testimony of Paul. This is a testimony of Paul. 
And I am praying and hoping that this could be a testimony of, of my, my life, my name, who I am. And I'm praying that this testimony of Paul, Galatians 6, 14, would also be your testimony. And our testimony as we know and follow Christ. Here's the message, Eugene Peterson, a paraphrase of Galatians 6.14. Here's his paraphrase of this verse. And I think it helps us understand Paul's testimony as we close up this series. Because of the cross, I have been crucified in relation to the world. I have been set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others. And fitting into the little patterns that they dictate to me. I love that paraphrase of this verse. Because of the cross, because of the resurrection, we are free to be who God has created us to be. Indicative. Statement of truth. Because of the cross and because of the resurrection, you and I, we are free to be who God has created us to be. Indicative. And because of the cross, because of the resurrection, we are free to do what God has created us and given us to do. Indicative. God has created you with a purpose for a purpose. I don't want to miss that in my life. I don't want you to miss that in your life. God has created you with a purpose for a purpose. This is the grace walk. This is the grace walk. We're sojourners here. This is not our home. We are simply passing through to glory unto eternal life. And so, but with the time that we have, let us not grow weary in doing good. Amen? Let us seek opportunity to bless and serve and care and love well. As C.S. Lewis says in his epic story, The Chronicles of Narnia, let us go higher up and further in together. May I only boast, and I would pray this for you. May I only boast in Jesus as the son of God who came to rescue me. May I only boast in his work that paid the price for me and for you. May I only boast in the person and the work of Jesus that has saved me. May I only boast that I am a new creation in Christ. May I only boast that I am a new creation in Christ. And with that said, let us finish the book of Galatians. Here's how Paul ends the letter. Verse 16, he says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. And before you read that and go, rule, wait, I, hope this, I thought this whole book wasn't about rules. The word rule there is, it's the atmosphere, it's the, it's the environment, it's the way. Let peace and mercy follow all who are along the way of Christ. Even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He has suffered for the name. And then in verse 18, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. It's interesting. We look at verse, chapter 1, verse 3, very beginning of the book. And Paul says this to the churches, grace and peace to you. 
then we get to the end of the book and he says peace and grace to you verses 16 to 18 it's peace and grace on the front end it's grace and peace why am I saying this to you because the bookends are grace upon grace it's all of grace church he's starting the letter with the message of grace and he's ending the letter he switches it from grace and peace to peace and grace it's grace on the front end it's grace throughout and it's grace that leads the way to freedom in Christ this this is the proclamation of the grace walk and I believe it and I want to grow in it and I need to be trained in it and I need to be equipped in it I need to be corrected And I don't want to resist the work that God wants to do in me for the purpose that he's given me in the time that I have. And I don't want you to resist it either because it is good. It is the heart of God to grow you up so that we, we would be more and more and more conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this day, this teaching, these imperatives to grow us up. We thank you for this series, what you have shown us, what you have taught us, what we have learned, how we have grown. I just continue to pray an anointing over each person, each relationship, each family in our church family that we would believe rightly about the gospel and that we would grow up and be transformed in the way of the gospel together. So that these people, us, this church, that we truly would be a light on a hill for our city, welcoming all who are hungry, all who are thirsty, all who are broken, just like we're broken, to know Jesus and to find healing and hope and peace and grace always. May the grace of Jesus be in the spirits of every person in this house. In Jesus' name.